Hi, I'm Michael Pear, owner of MLP Consulting. I started my apprenticeship in 1992 with J.B. Rogers. I also helped start the CAD department in 1996. I later moved on to University Mechanical, where I was the HVAC BIM superintendent. Uh, in 2015 was when I started MLP Consulting. Uh, I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. It's called BIM with the BIMJs. Okay, yeah, let me get in the zone. Hold on. <coughs> la 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 la. <laughs> me too. Today, our host is Cody Ahern, the building trades journeyman and the BDC manager here at MLP Consulting in Phoenix, Arizona. Cody, take it away, brother. Hey, how's it going? Cody Ahern with MLP Consulting. Uh, been with Mike about five years, just kind of running the VDC program over here and getting my feet wet and learning a lot in the industry and, and hoping to, to grow as we go. Uh, we got Eric Kaposia, who's our sheet metal genius and knows all things engineering related. <clears throat> we got Paul Frechty, who would be our piping superintendent, but uh, steam fitter OG by trade. And Gary Palzano, our plumbing superintendent, who's been in the trenches for 30 years plus. What is your professional background, Gary, and why did you choose to uh, come to MLP? Uh, my professional background is I uh, went through apprenticeship school in Chicagoland area uh, back in the 80s. I've uh, been in the trade since 1982 and worked at all aspects of construction from houses to high rises um, in two or three different states. I have also done specialty systems like acid waste, grease waste, uh, all kinds of different things involved in hospitals. So that that's uh, my background. And why I came to MLP was I worked with Mike uh, and Cody previously at one of my employers and uh, I had a good relationship with both of them and I really enjoyed working with the software and um, understanding how it worked and the opportunity arose for me to move over to MLP and uh, I did it. And uh, it's been great ever since, going almost on three years now. You, uh, you've got a different perspective of the industry from behind the screen as opposed to being in the field? I like being behind the screen. I didn't think that I would because I was in the field for so long, um, but it's really been a nice transition. Uh, I enjoy it. It's 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 like it's like a new it's like a second phase of my career where I felt like I'd done a lot in my career in the field. This was all brand new and um, it was challenging and and I'm still learning all the time and I really do enjoy it. Awesome, awesome. And then we have Eric, who, as far as I know, I heard he used to work in the field, but as long as I've known him, and I think even the stories I've heard, he's been behind the computer. So what's your background, Eric, and how did, how did you end up at MLP? So my background, uh, I started off in the shop in Boston, Massachusetts. I was in a sheet metal shop for three years, um, pre-apprentice there. 
moved out to Arizona um, and then spent four, uh, three and a half years in the field where uh, I got uh, asked to join the VD, uh, VDC program uh, where I met Mike, uh, Mike Pear. And we worked together for, I want to say, six, seven, eight years after that at um, in another VDC office. And then we, I went on to estimating and service because I wanted to get uh, fully rounded in the trade. And, um, and then uh, he had started up MLP and talked about how he wanted to make it not only do well, but make a difference in construction and in general, just a different perce uh, perception of VDC and construction workers and the professionalism. And I was all on board for that. And uh, I've got nothing but that here. It's been great. So that's why I joined MLP. Awesome. And how about you, Paul? I guess the last but not least. A uh, similar story. I started my apprenticeship in 1991 as a steam fitter in Milwaukee. So I was a steam fitter here for 10 years-ish. Then moved to Arizona and became a pipe fitter in Arizona for however many years. And then uh, now I'm back in the wonderful state of Wisconsin. Um, so my experience is everything from residential to pharmaceutical to foundries to process piping to large commercial industrial healthcare. I've been very fortunate to be able to see a lot of different things. Process piping is, is a lot different than just your simple heating hot water and chilled water. Um, done a little bit of work at semiconductor uh, type plants like Intel and can't think of the other one right now. Motorola? Motorola was another one, so that'd be a third one, but then there was another one that I can't remember the name of it, but um, did some extensive work at that plant. Um, as far as how I ended up at MLP, I have a similar story to Gary's where MLP was doing work for me on another job that I was on through another contractor, and uh, I became very interested in how the whole modeling process happens and um, Mike definitely had a, a need for a guy with piping experience. Mm -hmm. So one thing kind of led to another and uh, here I am. I am now a apprentice reveteer. Apprentice <laughs> reveteer. So, so you and Gary both have, you know, 30 plus years of, of field experience, probably 60 between the two of you. And you've ran work, you've, you've received obviously numerous amounts of, of drawings from multiple contractors, drafters, who, engineers. Uh, you've, you've worked with multiple BIM companies. You've done BIM, you've seen BIM. It, it wasn't new to you when you got here. What was it like being on the other side, uh, receiving those things, working with other people's work as opposed to providing it now? Uh, I, I personally think some of the most obvious things are is when you have a person that's doing BIM that doesn't fully understand the construction process. Um, I guess one of the biggest cases in point is when you receive drawings that are dimensioned off of walls and et cetera that don't exist yet. Um, I think Gary and I think all you guys can attest to this that the building goes up 
the utilities are in and then usually walls go up. So by the time the walls are in, most piping and plumbing and HVAC systems are already installed. Um, so from a, just from a, a simple sheet perspective, having somebody know what they want to see in the field is, has been, I think, huge, huge difference when you have an experienced guy, not only drawing, designing and coordinating, but then also producing sheets that are going to be used ultimately by the fellows in the field. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. There's a couple of superintendents that have asked us to dimension off of walls. I don't know if you remember that, Cody, but early on, there was a sheet metal superintendent we were working with was wanting all those dimensions off of walls. And we're like, are you sure the walls are going to be up when you're out in the field? Well, yeah. I'm like, okay. And so we straight. gave him dimensions off of walls and balls weren't up when he was needing them off of column lines. And <laughs> so, yeah. You want to be in before the walls. You let them That's frame right. you. Yeah. yeah. You're a lot more efficient if you can go at 100 miles an hour without walls in your way, for sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think giving the client what they want and what they need are, are two different things sometimes. And with your experience, you're able to kind of navigate them to making sure what they want is what they need. And I think that's truth truly helpful in this industry. I think you're right. And I think part of it is, you know, early on, I think that with our, um, the questions that we ask our clients early on, I think that really helps kind of, kind of clear the muddy waters early on. If we know exactly what they want up front, rather than handing them something that they don't want, asking yeah. the appropriate questions up front, I think helps out immensely. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a good point. You get a lot of these BIM contractors that don't see value in BIM and they complain that they lose their money on jobs. Uh, Eric or Gary, do you have any, uh, anything to say to that? What I, when a client would say, you know, BIM's a waste of money, I don't think we should do it. Uh, we just had an experience where we had a job interview with a potential client and they didn't fully understand the value. And um, I guess as speaking for myself in the beginning, I didn't really either, but once I got involved in the process um, when I was in the field, and saw the value of it. it it just took a minute for me to understand where the value is and because i lived through that experience i can easily explain it to uh any of our customers or any new potential customers as well uh, there's significant savings if you do it right you ask the right questions as paul previously said uh and it brings uh brings a tremendous amount of value especially for prefabrication Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, and I could see where that perspective comes from, because at, at the end of the day, VDC is overhead until it makes money in the field. I mean, that's right. just clear, right? We don't right. create anything until it's say we don't create any profit or any money for the company until it saves problems in the field. That's what mm -hmm. we're there to do, is to make the field more efficient, go better, get ahead of the problems that... Uh, that they don't have to deal with in the field. I mean, we see it all the time. If it's a problem for one person, it's a problem for six in the field. Everybody's going to discuss it. Everybody, you pull this guy over, this guy over. You're not talking about some apprentices. You're talking superintendents. You're talking general foremans. That's a lot of money wasted. And so it, it, it's sometimes hard to see that value 
But for those guys on the field, I, I know I've talked to quite a few of them, you know, Gary, Paul being one of uh, a couple of the clients that the, the value is seen when you mitigate problems that were unforeseen. I think to your point, then I think gone when you're using BIM, gone are the days of the plumber and the sheet metal worker and the steam fitter battling for space and corridors because yeah. their stuff is more important. Everybody's stuff is the most important. Correct. You know, as far as I'm concerned, any kind of hydronic pipe takes precedence over everybody else. And Gary feels the same. <laughs> so, uh -huh. you know, when you have a coordinated model, you're handing somebody a lot of that's gone. Now the superintendents and the foreman and the rank and file can focus on what needs to be focused on. And that's installing, not battling for space. Right. I agree. And, and we're a conduit of information. I mean, that's a, I think that in itself is a huge time saver. We, as VDC guys, we get all the information for the sheet metal system or for the piping system or for the plumbing system. So the project manager has a question. He can go to you like, cause he's got so many other things to worry about. Or if the field guy says, Hey, why did we do this? Oh, cause of RFI such and such, or because this change or that change. So not only are we producing stuff that makes you more efficient in the field, we are a conduit of information for everybody within the project because we've been dealing with it with day in and day out. We have a view of the whole project as opposed to parts of the project. So, And one thing that I've noticed is a lot of the general contractors want to do BIM, but they're not doing it right. I don't see it being utilized to its full potential. Uh, I've seen contractors that do it great and they get the value out of it, out of it. And I've seen others that just, they're not using it how it should be used and they don't like it. So I'm hoping that through these podcasts and through these interviews, we can help bridge that gap between BIM and the people that don't know how to utilize it. What can we do to help, help these contractors utilize BIM, get their bill of materials, get their, their clearance funds modeled in, make sure all of their contents in, how they're going to fabricate it down to the joints and the fittings and their insulation. But that goes two ways. You have to have a client that's willing to give you answers and provide you with that information and a, and a general contract with a willing to hold everyone accountable. Um, yeah. What's your experience been with that, Paul, since you've uh, started MLP? I think the first thing that comes to mind, which I, you know, I, I would say I can't mention the project, but you know what I'm talking about when I say that there is an air handler in a basement that was uh, the basis of design air handler was not even close to fitting properly. And we had to talk them into giving up two parking spaces that were like for the, the highest up people at that particular building. And remember what a battle that was. And you know, that the engineer was pretty adamant that that was the appropriate air handler. But at the end of the day, when we had to finally show him, this air handler is not going to work. So we had to change kind of the orientation of it. And I think the air handler itself, the selection was changed because of what we had found with many things, not limited to walls, louver locations, very valuable parking spaces, as silly as that sounds, but they didn't want to give those up. Remember if you remember what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I think also on, on that same exact project you're referring to, I mean, we're not engineers, but because of the amount of experience that we have here at MLP, we're able to identify these issues because we've either been involved in the past with them or just our years of experience has, has propelled us to be able to catch these issues 
um, to help. And uh, as Paul stated, that that was a real battle. But um, in the end, they they said, okay, you you guys are right, and probably saved them tens of thousands of dollars, uh, maybe even a hundred thousand dollars if they would have had it in there. And you know, it didn't work. Could have been a lot. It could have been a really really big deal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Something interesting I read this morning in SNPs, it's funny that you brought that up, Cody, but uh, there's a study by Dodge Data and Analytics of Sheet Metal uh, Ducting Contractors. Um, <clears throat> so if you use BIM to its fullest, you know, which some of our contractors do, a lot of them just want to check the box. But if you use BIM to the fullest, it reduces waste by 50%, increased labor production by 50%, improves cost performance by 43%, and better installate installation quality and reduces errors by 36 percent i've been looking for numbers like that for quite a while and it's been more more of a guess than hearsay but it's cool that they came out with that um with those analytics this morning those are great numbers too because we've all been there too you know by the time you get done with a project you know if you do it the old school way you end up sending back a truckload of pipe valves and fittings where when something is bimmed you should have next to zero if everybody's doing their job appropriately obviously you're going to order a couple extra onesie twosie type things as gary knows you know some of the smaller items but mm -hmm. but yeah when we can pull up a 100 percent accurate bill of material for somebody mm -hmm. then uh there's almost no excuse for having these huge amounts of materials going back to wherever they go to the, someone's shop to the vendor where you lose you know, 50% restock, you know, that's, that's all gone. Handling it twice, moving it around. Yeah. yeah. A lot of waste involved. Uh, yeah. If you're doing BIM the correct, what we would like to see the per, per, in a perfect world, right? Where you would know exactly whenever we do a hospital, we have this percentage of saturation ratio of fittings for piping, for plumbing. So your estimates get tighter. Your field labor gets tighter everything gets a little bit tighter because you have that backup and data if we were doing vd because it's it's a snapshot in time of what actually happened in the field yep right so it's really interesting i i wish that more companies would embrace this part of it the estimating part of it mm -hmm. where you could take this existing job where we started where we ended how we got there and then bring it back to the beginning and how much more efficient this this construction could be in general mm -hmm. how much how much more we could see into the future if you will of uh, of the project just by analyzing a project that's very similar yeah i mean most most definitely it's at the point now where we can place points where hangers are the the points are embedded in those hangers and you can bring them straight to the trimble <laughs> you got to make sure all that's accounted for in the schedule though or else you're out mm -hmm. there you're core drilling other than shooting the points before they pour so <clears throat> i think you know the schedule is a big thing and, and the client being on board but hopefully over time we, we could bridge that gap and allow you know our clients by utilizing mlp to to get the most out of the bin that they're they're paying for <clears throat> it seems like a lot of the top clients um the, the most intelligent superintendents they're they're using bim to the full potential yeah and they're, you know, they're using it the way it should be used. And it's, 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 it helps them. I mean, they're, I think that's why they're the top, you know. 
I've, I've definitely seen in cases where, where the ball can be dropped if if you miss the beat on QAQC and you're providing bombs and points and, and those get out in the field. And then you have the opposite effect where you're costing the client money. And, and that's something we never want to do. So I guess, uh, Paul, Gary, what do you guys do for, for QAQC to assure these things don't happen? Well, I, I guess I'll just go first. And I think uh, here at MLP, the best QAQC program I've seen yet is kind of one we all created together. And that is we all collectively look at it together and collaborate uh, amongst us ourselves to ensure that what we give our clients is the best possible product um, and try to catch every single little mistake or um, blurred line on a drawing or anything to make our stuff not look so clean. So uh, I feel Paul's probably one of the best in the industry. He catches things that I miss. Um, he's got a very, very sharp eye for these things. And uh, with Eric and myself and even Cody, uh, we all work together and we try to minimize any mistakes that we may have before we send stuff out to the client. Mm -hmm. I, I think on top of that, I think that remaining very humble when you are sending something for somebody to look at to QAQC is that's something I had to kind of get over if I send something to Gary hey what do you think of this if he starts picking it apart I would take that very personally <laughs> and we know we about come to blows not really but you know that was something for me to get over being on this side of things is let somebody critique my work and not consider it a personal attack <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah, and learn from it. And I think that's that's the way we all are. I don't think anybody here is that arrogant that they're going to be, you know, upset that somebody's critiquing their work. So I think that's that's helped all of us, really. No, I, I think I like to purposely make mistakes, Paul, just to see if you'll catch them. And you always do. <laughs> Thank so, you. so I can attest to Gary right there when he says Paul's the best in the business. I know, uh, Eric, you're on the sheet metal side, so there's probably a little bit of a, a different method to your QAQC. Uh, you want to kind of fill us in? Uh, well, different. I don't know if it's a different method. It's just because um, we you just you walk down the systems just like anything else, right? You make sure you have everything right. Everything's connected. You have the right VAV boxes, the right equipment, all that stuff. You got the you know, and you you. <clears throat> You go from the contracts to there, and then anywhere you see a problem, you highlight it, or you you have a it's a team <laughs> effort. Um, so I don't know if it's any different. Just what we're looking at is different, right? So, um, you know, making sure you detail. Big thing is going to the details because a lot of times uh, it will be drawn one way on the on the plans, but the details override what's drawn, or the PNIDs for piping, or for us the you know flow diagrams. So mm -hmm. uh, that's generally how I walk through it is, you know, the specs are the first thing to make sure we, we're meeting a spec range, of, you know, for our, I, I have your insulation specs and your, your gauge specs, whatever, and your pressure, pressure specs down. So, you know, it's two inch, four inch, six inch, whatever it needs to be, your insulation is correct. And then it's just falling out the system again, making sure you capture all the details and the flow diagrams. Yeah, QAQC is, <clears throat> it's, it's, um, 
It's crucial. We, we have it included in every estimate and every job and it's not a negotiable. Um, I think when we first started, I did negotiate at one time and they, the client came back and said, well, the, the client was going to QC for us. I said, we could take out these hours if, you know, if you do the QC for us. Well, you don't want somebody to see something that's not correct. You don't want your client to see something that's not correct. So I learned from that project. From then on, we always include it in the, in the budget. I don't even show them that it's, it can be negotiable. It's, it's part of the deal, so. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, important because when you go buy a, you know, a box of Pop-Tarts, you expect them to be right, but you don't expect to pay a different price for them to check to make sure they're right. I think as a, as a, <clears throat> a customer to our clients, that's, that's our obligation. So that's, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I guess all in all, with all that being said, uh, Paul, what, what do you think would define a successful project at the end of the day? What defines a successful project? Yeah. <clears throat> I think the the client coming back and saying, here's the next one. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a good okay. point. Uh, no, I, I think that uh, having a, having a, the happy client rather than a client that's that's constantly saying, "When are you going to be done? Why is it like this? Why didn't you do this? Why?" You know what I'm saying? When we hand them something that's ninety nine point nine percent perfect, and having them say, "You guys are you have a." definitely exceeded all expectations that's i think what anybody likes to hear but i like to hear that absolutely mm-hmm. yeah, i would say uh what makes a successful project is a team of people that are willing to work together to overcome and solve any issues that may arise or um may have gotten looked over and to be able to do those things without um a in in an environment where it's not a fight it's more of a team effort and and that's definitely what we do here at mlp and you know we try to get our clients into that same degree i don't really you know i said earlier i'm going on three years and i i can't think of one time that we actually had uh an irate customer that was so upset that they were yelling at us. Uh, it just doesn't happen because we really care and we put everything we have into it to make all of our projects successful. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Success Project is one that makes money, right? And it has, and we give the client a system, uh, our systems that work either as intended or better than intended. Like we've made. Uh, I know value engineering is not usually a good word, but we've we've include increased what the pro- client has got, and they're still able to walk away, you know, with a profit. And to that to that, a lot of as built type stuff, you know, if the client has to go back and do as built, that's a safety thing. And so we're and I where the client can have their guys working in a in a systematic fashion it reduces the risk of the 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 workers there uh there is a big health thing where you're not hanging a valve you know six feet above a ceiling 
or a VAV box, you know, five feet above a ceiling where now the maintenance crew has to go maintenance that every year. They get hurt every time because they have to crawl up through these pipes. And so, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's one that we can deliver a system that's better than what was asked for and the client could still make a profit so yeah yeah you definitely forgot to mention making sure you got enough clearance above those cable trays as well eric (laughs) (laughs) yes there are some unique problems that come up so i guess on on a topic of problems when a problem does arise in a bin model or in the field i know you'd mentioned one about an air handler earlier kind of what we do to mitigate that um i guess what do you do eric when a problem comes up i know you deal with those quite often um really i try to analyze the problem from every angle really see who's involved who's going to be involved if it's just something i've come across you know like an air handler okay what is going to have to happen who is involved let's get them together let's get this worked out you know and i mean if it's something we can fix you fix it you you let whoever needs to know know and you move on uh, but like big problems like air handlers stuff like that that always takes you got you got you know drains you got pipe you got ductwork you got walls you've got clearances you have move in move out for an air handler you have to you know if your air handler gets 22 inches wider well now you can't get the air handler out of the building if you know you don't have a move in and out path so you 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 want to be helpful to the project, even if it's difficult, right? And mm-hmm. some some people just want to push it to the side, say, you know what, let's just get it going. But I think the whole point to us being who we what we do is getting ahead of the problem, so and getting the right people in the room to make sure the problem is solved before the field has to deal with it, before they're bringing in a crane to pull this stuff out and go, uh oh, we have a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's you know depending on what it is you know it's it's you know if we don't have the right submittals then making making that known but also making a plan for okay this is the possible problem that's going to come into it so yeah just making a plan for possible problems and then when problems do arise making a plan to fix them before it affects the most most amount of people yeah, that can definitely be a challenge sometimes because a lot of times the client wants to do whatever is uh, most effective to their schedule or, or most effective to to cost. And is that always yep. the best way to solve the problem? Probably not. But I think at the end of the day, our job is just to make sure they're aware of it and they'll tell us how to fix it. We're a conduit of so. information, like I say every time. We're the conduit yep. of information. If we're not going to tell them, then maybe they won't find out. And that's that's <laughs> going to become a problem later. I know for me, and I know at least Paul, it's it's pretty difficult to to move on from those kind of things sometimes while you're waiting for an answer. Um, what do you guys do to to stay efficient on the projects when you're waiting for these problems to be solved? I, I know there's a lot of jobs where we have to stop and wait and stop and wait. And, and how can we remain, you know, more efficient working through these problems as they arise while we wait for 15 answers from 15 people? I think ultimately what I do is if there's more than just one person on a job, in other words, if it's me and at least one other person, my job, as far as I'm concerned, is staying ahead of that person and trying to identify the problem areas, hopefully before they get there, at least have something in the works. 
That's kind of the way I was in the field. I can see Gary's agreeing. I mean, that's kind of our job is we're supposed to be weeks ahead of whoever is coming behind us or whoever we're going to assign a task to. So obviously in the BIM world, you can't always do that because what we're doing is just so fast paced, so fluid and things can be changing so quickly that you can't always keep up with potential problem areas, but we try to do the best we can with with what we're given. So staying ahead to the best of our ability, I think is, is, is key, at least from my perspective. Owners, G- GCs, and clients, they want to make the best decisions possible. When they feel they're not in that position to make the best decision possible, they're going to be hesitant to make a decision. So if you can provide them with the most information you possibly can, it's it's going to be easier for the VDC. It's going to be easier for your guys uh, so you can give them direction. It's going to be easy for the whole project. You can't just tell them to make a decision. Sometimes you have to lead them to the decision. So. I think it's very well put. Lead them to the decision. Yeah. Because like you said, you, we are all more intimate than anybody else with the project at that point. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, that that's definitely always been one of my challenges since, since coming into VDC and doing BIM is just waiting and because I'm one of those people that wants to do it perfect and then it's done and move on and, and having to wait, you know, a lot is... is it's been something I've had to learn to do, but I think, you know, between you guys telling me it's not your problem, Cody, hold up, you know, just don't worry about it. It, it goes a long way. But but that's my challenges. I mean, Gary, what are, what are your challenges in the industry that you, you've noticed just from a BIM side of things? What what what, what could be a, the most challenging part of your job? <clears throat> uh, I think the most challenging part is um, getting information as quick as we need it. And and I understand that um, challenge because there's a lot of times decisions aren't made, uh, like with equipment, or uh, sometimes there are some um, some value engineering that is is going on behind the scenes and things change. So uh, submittals and information is is probably the biggest challenge that we face, um, and we always try to get the client to help us or at least give us you know an alternative so we can keep going with the job and a lot of times the alternatives to equipment especially aren't really majorly different so that that i would that i say was probably the biggest challenge is getting the information well yeah i mean you guys said that a successful job is is saving money and can't save money when you're late on things times money and you want to be successful, right? Agreed. Go, you know, go along with the submittals too. Um, there's often times when the clients told us to use the basis of design on the submittals, and then they come back and say, "Oh, you know, we got a great deal on the buyout. Now we're going to use these ones." Well, that can cause all kinds of problems in coordination. It can cause yes. all the trades to to have to re-coordinate. We have to redo some things. So it may end up costing the client more to come back with the decision late, I guess. So it, it's, it, it's, it can be difficult. And to that point, that I think that is a kind of a problem sometimes when we get in early like we like to, mm-hmm. and we're gonna use equipment that's on the basis of design rather than what's actually gonna be submitted on. And I think sometimes clients don't fully understand the ramifications of 
being halfway through a project and all of a sudden now you're going to change all your major equipment or a lot of it that's that's kind of a big deal mm-hmm. yes big deal yeah yeah new atu or vav but it has a different sound rating so now you have to have a three foot sound attenuator to it mm-hmm. well exactly yeah. <laughs> now you need to make room for a six foot vav instead of a three foot vav you know <laughs> in 400 different places on the building too exactly it's, it's definitely important i mean what kind of what kind of skills would you say are required to be a successful modeler or fabricator in the bim industry uh, i guess any of us you all do different trades but it's all the I same would right say well, there's a, a bit of humility that's involved, but as far as actual skills, um, I would say being able to think of three dimensions, first of all, it's, and that's actually difficult to do. It's, it, it, it's not as easy as people think it is to be able to visualize before it even goes in. And then attention to detail. Uh, um, there's attention to detail, be able to visualize in 3D, and then there, it takes a certain uh, tenacity, if you will, to get the right information, not just the information that's easily available. Because every project has its kind of idiosyncrasies of where you find different information. Um, and so wanting to do a good job and having tenacity to get to the right answer instead of the easy one, it's, it's those are the three things I would say. I would agree to attention to detail. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with everything you just said, but attention to detail is is probably number one, for sure. Mm-hmm. A willingness to learn. You know, uh-huh. Gary and I, as many years experience as we have, we learn something new every day. But just just for Eric here, do, do you find blue shirts bring strength and unity to projects? Because, uh, of course, <laughs> it's a common color, and you know me, I'm calm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I thought you said common color. Calm. Calm me. Calm me. Very zen. Uh, No, I just don't like black and it's it's a slimming color, I guess. Hey, well, I think that's about all the time we have for today. Um, Thank you guys so much for joining MLP. And we're truly blessed to have people of of your caliber, of your experience here. Um, I'm blessed. I know we're all blessed. Um, but yeah, th- thanks, thanks for everyone. Thanks for your time. Thanks for everybody that listened to it. Thanks for everybody that watched it. See you guys. All right, guys. We'll see ya. See ya. See ya.